Welcome to the Paranormal Lounge, where we explore the unknown. In this episode, I'm taking you on a journey through the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, also known as the Weston State Hospital. This historic site was open for over 100 years and holds a dark and disturbing history. Join me as we uncover the chilling tales and eerie photographs of this infamous location, as well as explore the claims of paranormal activity that still haunt the building today. Now, I take this stuff very seriously. I've been blessed over the years to explore haunted locations and receive numerous photographs as well as speak to many witnesses. I've produced several of your favorite network paranormal shows and I've been to over a hundred haunted locations. This is something I'm really passionate about. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, also known as the Weston State Hospital, opened to patients in 1864 in West Virginia. Although the word lunatic was commonly used in the mid-19th century to describe those with mental illness, it has fallen out of use in today's times due to the negative connotations. However, the name is part of its historical legacy, so I'll often be referring to it as both. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was built as part of the Kirkbride Plan, with the intention to provide a peaceful and therapeutic environment for patients. However, it suffered from overcrowding and poor conditions, which were not inherent to the Kirkbride Plan. The plan actually aimed to provide spacious facilities and scenic locations with a hierarchical layout and a range of treatments. Despite its flaws, the Kirkbride Plan remains significant in mental health history. During the Civil War in 1861, the asylum was used as a military barracks and training center while in the early stages of construction. It is the largest hand-cut sandstone building in the country, second in the world, and is thought to be a prime example of the stone tape theory, where the material of the building can record and play back past events. Designed to house and treat the mentally ill, over the course of its 130 years of operation, it housed thousands of patients, many of whom were subjected to cruel and inhumane treatments. Originally designed to house 250 patients, by the 1950s it had thousands of patients and was overpopulated for most of its operation. The overcrowding was so severe and people were dying left and right that they had to start burying bodies on the grounds. The treatments disguised as torture range from lobotomies to electroshock therapy, hydrotherapy, being chained to walls and locked in cages, and the patients, anyone could be admitted, including societal outcasts and even murderers and violent offenders. The reasons for admission were long and disturbingly arbitrary, including laziness, egotism, bad company, asthma, the list goes on. Once admitted, some patients were never released, regardless of their condition. It's estimated that tens of thousands of people were housed here, many of whom were there for no other reason than being a societal outcast. Disturbingly, it didn't close until 1994, and during that time, I was alive while the place was still operating. It was shut down by the state due to changes in patient treatment and the building's deterioration. Over the years, visitors of the asylum and paranormal investigators have reported feeling a wide range of activity, as well as an oppressive atmosphere as if the spirits of the tortured patients still linger there. Some claim to have been scratched or pushed by unseen forces, while others have felt sensations of being choked. Disembodied voices and unexplainable phenomena are also quite common, leading many to believe that the patient's spirits still haunt the building. A common spirit that is often reported is a spirit named Lily, who is thought to be the child of a patient. Lily is notorious for manipulating objects, leaving those who witness her otherworldly powers deeply unsettled. Now, a darker entity that sends shivers down the spine is known as the Creeper. 
It creeps along the ceiling, silently stalking its unsuspecting victims and instilling fear and madness in those who catch even a glimpse of its terrifying form. The asylum's past is shrouded in mystery and terror, and the idea of entering it alone is enough to make even the bravest souls shake with fear. Now let's hear experiences of those who have dared to explore the haunted halls of this infamous asylum. But don't just take my word for it. Let's hear from them directly in their own words. Are you brave enough to stick around on this ghostly adventure? Let's find out. My name is Jim Hill. I have been a tour guide at the asylum for pushing about four years. January, January will make four years. And um, I heard y'all wanted some of my stories. And there's a ton of them I could give you. But there's one in particular that I, I always go to because of the personal um, connection for me. And the thing is, is <clears throat> excuse me, my um, my family has connection to that facility quite a bit. Uh, my my mom was an intern there in, in I believe 1980, and um, she she was a psychology student. She went on to become a social worker. And she never, you know, she never gave names or anything like that, you know, not to not to give away too much about, you know, patients issues, you know, but she just said she had seen exhibitions of human behavior that she had just never fathomed would be real. Never, you know, thought that people would actually act in the way that they were doing. And she said it was just like a horror movie. She said she would park across the street. That's where they had to park in like a gravel parking lot over there. And she said she'd walk into it. And it was this time of year. It was like October that she worked there. And she said there was just this fog rolling in front of the building and you could hear people screaming as they walked in and whatever. But in the 1930s, my great grandmother was a patient there. Um, her name was Daisy. That's important. So we're down in the old prison ward. It was the criminally insane, what they called it, or I think it was officially the forensics unit. And they would just, it was there to determine whether or not somebody who committed a heinous crime who wanted to plead insanity was actually, in fact, fit to stay at trial. And in the end of that hallway, there's what we call the smoke room. It was like the break room, like the worst of the worst in that hallway could, could stay in and have a cigarette and, you know, eat. I think that was their cafeteria as well. I do a lot in that room. I love that entire area of the building. I, I go there a lot. And one night... We had my spirit box and somebody else had a REM pod. And the spirit box across the spirit box, it was like, uh, no, I said, you know, is there anybody in the room who wants to talk? And a little voice came in and says, Daisy. And I was like, could you say that again? Repeated it, Daisy. The REM pod lights up all the colors and lands on the color green, which was my great grandmother's last name. Her name was Daisy Green. I was like, Am I speaking with my grandmother? And a kindly little old lady's voice goes, pray, pray, in a very, like, soft, timid voice. I said, here's my problem. I said, my grandma died 30 years after even looking at this place, let alone stepping foot in it. And at that point in time, a noise came across that was like, I had never heard anything like that, nor have I ever heard it since, of... Not quite a scream, not quite a burst of white noise, just a burst of just chaos through the spirit box that sounded to me like it was angry that I was contesting it. 
And that has always been what I feel goes on in that area of the building through other events as well, that whatever's there is saying, you don't know me, but I know who you are. Before we continue our journey into the documented deaths at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, be warned, these stories are not for the faint of heart. What happened within the walls of this facility are shrouded in darkness and despair, and the tales of the deceased still echo through the empty halls. In 1987, Dean Metheny, a 49-year-old mute man who was stuck in a childlike state, was packed in a room with two criminally insane serial killers. One night, they forced him to hang from a bedsheet using a pipe as a pulley system and lowered him, only to repeat the process until they got bored. Then they smashed his head in with a bedpost, killing him in a horrific manner. The tragedy of Dean Metheny's murder has left an indelible mark on the asylum. Now, deep within the history of the asylum lies a lesser known tale of horror. It's the story of Muriel Creamer, in 1963, Muriel was admitted to the psychiatric hospital, but her life was cut short just a week later. She was found dead in her room with a bedsheet wrapped tightly around her neck. The cause of her death was ruled a homicide by strangulation. The perpetrator was Wanda James, another patient who freely admitted to strangling Muriel. Her reason? Muriel had allegedly made improper advances towards her. What makes Muriel's case particularly disturbing is that it took place in a violent female ward of a psychiatric hospital. If the opposing patient was not violent, then why was she being kept in the violent ward in a seclusion dorm? Muriel's husband actually attempted to sue the state of West Virginia for wrongful death, but the case was dismissed on the grounds that the state had no duty or ability to know that the other patient was violent. It raises questions about the duty of care towards patients in state-run institutions. These tragic events serve as a dark reminder of the horrors that can take place in these institutions and the urgent need for a greater accountability and reform within the mental health care system. One notorious figure in the history of the asylum is Walter Freeman, who famously performed 228 lobotomies in just 12 days at the institution. This barbaric procedure involves severing connections in the brain in an attempt to treat mental illness, often without proper anesthesia or follow-up care. The devastating consequences of these lobotomies are numerous, including many patients suffering from permanent brain damage or death. In my attempt to gather more information about the asylum, I reached out to former nurses who worked at the facility. Unfortunately, I quickly learned that the ones that are still living, none of them are willing to speak about their experiences. It's understandable that they may not want to revisit what was likely a traumatic and difficult period in their lives, but their reluctance to share only adds more to the mystery and intrigue surrounding the location. It's clear the asylum holds many secrets, and perhaps the only way to uncover them is through the accounts of those who lived and worked within its walls. During my research, I also spoke to several locals who grew up in the area, and they shared with me some unsettling memories. They recalled how the sirens would go off at all hours of the day and night, and how it was a normal thing for them to hear. The wailing of the sirens signified a patient escape, a common occurrence at the asylum. The escapees would wander through the surrounding woods and farmland, causing panic and fear among the local residents. The asylum's reputation as a place of danger and terror was well known throughout the community, and it's no wonder that the sound of the sirens became a source of dread for those who lived nearby. 
Today, the Weston State Hospital Trans-Allegheny stands as a monument to the history of mental health care in the United States. Guided tours are available to visitors, allowing them to explore the grounds and learn about the hospital's dark past. The building has also been used as a filming location for various movies and TV shows, including the Netflix series Mindhunter. The Weston State Hospital is a reminder of the troubled history of mental health care in the United States. The hospital's legacy is one of neglect and abuse, but it also serves as a testament to the resilience of those who were institutionalized there. The asylum remains a powerful reminder of the dark past of early psychiatric treatment and the importance of mental health advocacy today. If you're brave enough to visit the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, be sure to do so with respect and caution. Now I'm going to share with you my experiences at the asylum. So as soon as you walk in, the air just feels tight and oppressive. It's like a feeling of dread that just kind of takes over you. And I'm pretty sensitive to these kind of things. So when I work on these shows, I have to kind of block it out and build up a wall to it. I didn't want to invite any spirits in. I was there for a job, so I didn't even really try to acknowledge the paranormal. You know, it was sort of a different time in my life. But I will say that a lot of strange things did happen while I was there. The story that stood out to me the most was when I was walking through the halls by myself. I had to kind of go through and check to make sure everything was in place for filming, so oftentimes I would be wandering the halls by myself. We would also be filming at late hours of the night, so you know, it's pitch black in there, it's always freezing, there's no heat or electricity in most of the building, so it's just really cold all the time. I could feel different temperatures in different rooms, which could have been attributed to that. Okay, so this is when it got weird. So I was setting up the equipment and getting things ready for the show to start filming. I was, I was placing motion sensors on the third and fourth floor, probably about 10 of them. And as I started walking up to the next floor, they all started going off within seconds of each other. I kind of froze for a second. I looked back, but nobody was there. And I was the only one up there at the time. So we all were kind of assigned different tasks. Now this is a huge asylum. There's 13 buildings on the property, allegedly 666 acres. So we're all there for different tasks. And part of my job was to kind of check things before we start filming. So I was up there placing all the motion sensors, putting them in line, making sure they worked and all that. And as I was placing the sensors and started walking up to the fourth floor, all of a sudden, they all start going off like within a few seconds of each other. And I kind of froze for a second, you know, it was like a shock that kind of came through me and I was like, did that really just happen? And I look back and no one's there. I'm getting on my walkie. I'm like, nothing's happening. So that really freaked me out. I left shortly after that, I ran downstairs. But um, I did find out a few days later that raccoons often frequent the building. So it could have possibly been that. Another odd thing that happened to me is when I was walking through the Civil War ward. So part of my job was to take pictures of everything. I had to make sure we knew where everything was, so if we moved anything, we could put it back exactly in place. So I'm down in the Civil War ward and we're all assigned different tasks on different things. So they sent me down there to take pictures. And while I'm down there, my phone like totally glitched out. It would not take the photos, even though I thought it was, it looked like it was, and then I I went back and checked later on and none of those photos, I mean, maybe like a few of them actually took, but um, yeah, it was just very strange considering it was also like a brand new phone at the time. So I guess like battery drainage and things like that could be attributed. But either way, those were my experiences at the asylum. And yeah, let me know if you've had any experiences. I'd love to hear your story. 
Thanks for joining me on this journey through the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. It's a place of darkness and despair where thousands of people suffered and died. By exploring this haunted location, we can gain a deeper understanding of our own humanity and the consequences of neglect and cruelty. If you've been captivated by these eerie tales, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Join me again as we dive deeper into the mysteries of the unknown. 